This is the Arm Subject Matter Expert Podcast, hosted by Justin Poulin. Tune in every month as we speak with industry experts to highlight success stories and solutions from the field that advance the healthcare supply chain. And now, Justin Poulin with this month's expert. This is Justin Poulin from Power Supply, live again at Arm 23 in Orlando, speaking with Corey Schmidt, who is a member of the Young Professionals Advisory Council, or YPAC with Arm, and also the Assistant Director of SHS Operations and Supply Chain Integration at the University of Kansas Health System. We're going to be talking about the challenges of rural healthcare through of course, a supply chain lens. So, Corey, thanks so much for joining us for this ARM SME podcast at this wonderful event. Yeah, thank you, Justin. Super excited to be on the podcast with you. Happy to talk about rural healthcare and represent all of our smaller rural facilities that maybe can't make it to an ARM conference. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of great content this year, for sure. I mean, I know we're only in day one, as you and I are are speaking now, but had a really great CQO leadership summit that I attended, several other presentations, and I think even the just the vision that was laid out for ARM in the opening general session this morning really tells a lot about where we're headed, and especially when it comes to just gaining insights, right? Actionable insights and really education and training and a lot of different things that are facing healthcare, but critical access, rural healthcare, a little bit different than maybe the acute setting. And so can you talk about those differences? We did do one other interview, you know, talking about critical access, but we didn't cover what really makes it uniquely different. Yeah. You know, rural healthcare, these are smaller communities, aging communities that you know, the hospital might be the largest employer in the city, and everyone's financially struggling in these rural facilities. Maybe the department's only one FTE. They may only have so many hats that they have to wear. All of the knowledge that, you know, we have a bunch of different functional tracks here at ARM, they have to know all of those different functional tracks. They don't get to specialize in just one area. Yeah, they really wear a lot of different hats. And, you know, you also said the department might be one FTE. So when you talk about the impact of turnover, when you have one FTE run of the department, that's a pretty big impact on an organization. Yeah, I mean, if one person leaves, there goes all the knowledge of that department, right? So retaining those employees at those facilities, you don't have someone else in that community that can step up and just bring all of that experience with them. A lot of times you're training someone who, you know, maybe worked at the grocery store, totally outside of healthcare. So trying to start over every time makes it real difficult. Yeah. And, and also I would say just the low volumes and utilization that definitely has an impact too, right? Because when you don't have those large volumes to deal with, sometimes it's a little bit harder to get some attention. Is it not? Yeah. I mean, you know, Contract pricing, a lot of it's driven off of the volume. Even if you're maybe 100% with one supplier, you're still not getting good pricing because it's all a volume game. These are the struggles that rural healthcare faces every day. And when something goes on back order, the suppliers are taking care of their large customers first because they feel like they're more important than the, the rural small facilities. What about the reps? I, you know, I worked in a, a, when I first left nursing and went into a supplier role as a vendor representative, 
I definitely was working a lot of a rural area of Pennsylvania, but I can see, you know, in a lot of rural areas how difficult it is just because of drive time for vendor representatives. Does, does that impact the support that critical access facilities get? Yeah, you know, I mean, these critical access facilities and rural healthcare, they almost need more rep support, but those reps are making commissions, right? You know, if I'm a rep, I'm going to focus on the larger sale volume than the smaller volume, just because that's what's helping my pocketbook. It's a pretty natural thing to understand, right? And at the same time, to your point, it's like, where do we really need the support more than ever? Because you might only have one FTE. So when the knowledge is, is cultural and it's limited, sometimes the reps bring a lot of that information with them, you know, even in the way that they support cases, right? Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about specializing in things, the reps are the ones that really specialize in the products that they're selling. You know, a rural materials manager or someone just doesn't have the product knowledge that they need to be able to talk to a physician about certain product lines. So those reps are become even more important, especially if you're wanting to be contract compliant and move product to a, a supplier. You have to have that rep support. Otherwise, the doctor's just going to continue to use what they want to use. Yeah, I can see the benefits of aggregation. I'm sure that'll come up as our conversation continues. But what about some concerning trends, especially as it relates to, to critical access in rural healthcare. I'm sure some of the theme is probably a challenge for all, but some represent bigger challenges for critical access facilities, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we're coming out of COVID. Big health systems are really pushing the ball forward. There's been a lot more visibility to the healthcare supply chain and large organizations are kind of taking off. But What's happening to those small organizations that don't have the backing of their administration, maybe don't have the FTE count to be able to push some of these initiatives, they're falling behind. And that gap between large organizations and small organizations continues to get wider. I saw a presentation uh, this afternoon from someone from HFMA, which is a number of CFOs. But one of the points that he was making was that the uh, ability for humans to sort of adopt technology is sort of a, a pretty straight line that kind of maybe goes up at a, you know, five to 10 degree angle, whereas technology, especially since the advent of the microchip, has started to go on an exponential rise and to the point where technology is actually outpacing the ability for humans to be able to adopt it. I think that echoes kind of what you're talking about is, you know, the technology may be far outpacing our ability to be able to get used to it, especially in smaller teams. But also, what about the ability to just afford that technology? It might be a, a great piece for strategy and keeping up as a critical access facility, but then can you, can you even afford to bring it in? Yeah, you know, technology continues to advance. A lot of the technology companies are focusing on the large facilities, right? So is it even a fit for a rural health provider? In the state of Kansas, the majority of the hospitals are under 25 beds. When you talk about a rural facility, maybe on the East Coast, that may be 100 beds. So there's a huge difference between 100 beds and, you know, a tiny, they may be licensed 25 beds, but maybe a five-day census. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so trying to afford technology that meets the needs of that small facility we're an academic medical center. We have a lot more needs from a technology standpoint, but 
what's that scaled down version look like? There's a lot, there's not a lot of options out there for those facilities. And a lot of them don't necessarily do the things that we need to do to be able to aggregate things, especially data wise to help these rural facilities from a, you know, a virtual standpoint. I feel like we're hitting a really critical juncture in terms of the financial pressures on critical access. And, you know, we've seen mergers and acquisitions is like how many healthcare organizations have been able to stay alive, you know, just with the financial pressures in general. Even prior to the pandemic, this was happening. And so that obviously escalated things to some extent. And a lot of these facilities are at risk of closure, are they not? Yeah. You know, Becker's just this spring came out and said, 23% of Kansas hospitals and 14% of Missouri hospitals are at risk of immediate closure. That's a big number when you look at rural facilities and the population has to drive hours to get to healthcare. You may be able to do that, you know, to go see your doctor or, you know, telehealth can play a part in that. But if you have a stroke or a heart attack, two hours is a long time. You're not seeing good patient outcomes if the patient is driving that far. And that's once they recognize what's happening. And there's going to be increased cost or a burden on the family if they're receiving that level of care. And if they're driving several hours, what are the odds they can even be surrounded by loved ones while they're receiving the care? And I, I'm certain there are studies out there that say that support systems and support system structure also has an impact on outcomes. So the more that these facilities may close down due to those financial pressures, that just means further to drive, right? And so what really happens to these communities? I mean, what's the real impact to the community? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the hospital may be the largest employer in the community. So if that employer closes, now you have a bunch of people that are jobless that are probably going to move out of that community. So the community continues to struggle. If they don't have health care, you know, that's one of the, the leading reasons why people move somewhere is to be close to health care. At a rural facility, if the next closest health care is an hour away, that community can't survive without health care. And those are the people that we're counting on to, you know, farm. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of other factors that come into these rural f facilities. So I think it's very important that, you know, we continue to, to find ways to keep those healthcare facilities sustainable. Yeah. And especially, as you said, like a lot of them are farming communities. So that's a big part of our non-healthcare supply chain. Well, it's part of our healthcare supply chain too, but it's also a big part of our non-healthcare supply chain. And the other thing that I think has always stood out to me, you know, as it relates to communities that can also be impoverished or begin to str struggle financially is that anybody that's employed below the poverty line has a much higher incidence of actually having health issues. And so it actually increases the need for the care. And we're kind of going in two divergent directions there. So I guess maybe it's time to move this towards, a, you know, not just the doomsday, but something somewhat constructive in that how can supply chain be a voice for these smaller hospitals and for these communities at large? Yeah, you know, so the Kansas governor actually came to the University of Kansas Health System to our CEO and said, you know, what are you doing to help these small hospitals? We're the only academic medical center in the state. We really, you know, want to take care of improving the, the healthcare status of all Kansans. And part of that is keeping them close to home. You know, as you mentioned, you want them to receive care and be around their loved ones when they are having to be in the hospital. So, 
trying to drive sustainable practices and keeping those hospitals open as much as possible. So how did you guys do that? You know, when I introduced you, we had your title and one of the, it was SHS operations. And I was going to have you say what that was, but then I thought, well, it's kind of integral to our conversation. So I saved it. What does SHS stand for and what is the work that you're doing? Yeah, SHS is Strategic Healthcare Solutions. It's our affiliate network that the University of Kansas Health System created actually during the pandemic. And we actually helped facilities source PPE items and really get into driving price parity across all of the membership. We continue to grow our purchase services and capital as well as pharmacy products as well. And really trying to drive the price parity to keep those rural facilities sustainable. Yeah, definitely difficult when prices were all over the place during the pandemic. They probably really needed that, that price parity, leveraging it, leveraging your contracts is huge. What about other kinds of resources that you're able to make available to them? Like I can think of a number of different possibilities, but one thing we talked about is many times the department's one person, right? So how do they network or how do they get experience or knowledge from peers when they have no peers, you know, in their immediate facility? How does that all come into what you're doing from an SHS standpoint? Yeah, with SHS, I actually lead monthly supply chain calls with all the, the members, and it's really an interactive session. We, of course, go over new contracts, opportunities for cost savings, but really getting their feedback. What are they struggling with today? You know, their peer-to-peer connection, because like you said, learning from each other, maybe they don't have the answer. Maybe that's something I can take back to you know one of our people within the health system that specializes in that. Whether it's supply chain or any other specialty, you always have access to the health system's resources. So, As a big believer in social media, I absolutely am 100% bought into, you know, the value and power of networking and how we can all, you know, improve as a collective or grow as a collective. And I can see where, you know, you could be very isolated in a critical access facility, and yet you're helping bring that network and, and obviously reduce the impact of, of being isolated, not only in terms of location, but in terms of resources and network and peers that are doing you know similar jobs on a day-to-day basis. Corey, you've done a, a great job with the SHS team and really talking about the work that you're doing and how unique the challenges are for critical access today. Live here at ARM 23 in Orlando, I hope you've been having a great experience at the show. I know we've still got a couple of days left here, but is there anything you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, since we're at ARM, you know, I'll just give a shout out to our Kansas chapter. It's 13 years Diamond chapter. So obviously an impressive feat. And along with the networking piece, the Kansas chapter of ARM continues to to thrive. Excellent, Corey. Great job today. Corey Schmidt, everybody. He's on YPAC. If you don't know what that is, look it up on the website. It's the Young Professionals Advisory Council. He's the Assistant Director of SHS Operations. We learned all about that today and also supply chain integration at the University of Kansas Health System. Thank you for listening to this and many other great interviews from ARM23 here in Orlando. Thank you for listening to this episode of the ARM Subject Matter Expert Podcast. For additional resources, visit our website at 
ahrm.org. That's A-H-R-M-M.org. Tune in next month for another edition of the Arm Subject Matter Expert Podcast. Oh, 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 o